Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. I'm going to be speaking this morning on the subject, Engage Children. Engage Children. This month, the month of February, we're looking at family issues, and we began with Engage Creation because God's uh, foundation for the home happened in the book of Genesis, and we really believed that it happened. We really believed that it happened. Then last week we looked at uh, Engage Marriage, and what a great service it was last week. Wasn't that great to just focus on the marriage relationship? And following that theme, this morning we're looking at engaged children. What does the Bible say about children and how they are to be raised? Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, thank you that you have given us instruction, that uh, we, we know what to do because you've told us. Lord, help us to receive your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are a lot of opinions about child rearing, about raising children. How many of you know that there's a lot of opinions about raising children? Mostly from grandparents. <laughs> Lots of opinions about raising children. And um, you know that modern psychology, how many of you remember hearing about Dr. Spock? Not this Spock, but how many of you remember hearing about Dr. Spock? Any of you, how many of you don't know about Dr. Spock? Would you raise your hands? That's a generational thing. How many of you have heard that you shouldn't spank your children? How many of you have heard that? That's Dr. Spock. That's where that came from. Because you would ruin, you're going to, to damage their self-esteem. Um, it, 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 that, that understanding of child rearing is what led to the rebellion of the 1960s. and All of the trouble that has come ever since, it all flows out of this, this false understanding of how to raise children. And it is interesting, all of the opinions you hear and the statements that people make about raising their children. Uh, let me give you some of my favorites. Well, my children are strong-willed. How many of you ever heard someone say something like that? Yeah, that's probably about 80% of the kids in the world. There are some kids that are they're just naturally compliant and easy to raise. And what's funny are the parents that have those first. Right, and then the next one, you're thinking, what is this, Damien? Was this, what do I, Rosemary's baby? What is this that I have? This, this creature that's come into my house. How many of you have experienced something like that? Yeah, yeah. How many of you have a whole nest full of those little demons? <laughs> it's, it's so interesting the things that people say. Um, I, <laughs> I preached a message one time that was simply based on statements that people make and the philosophy and the philosopher where that thought came from. And you can get that for us. I'm sure Pastor Nathan can dig that out for you. What this, mor this morning, what I want to look at is what does the Bible say about children? What does the Bible tell us about this? And it's really important that we get it because there are so many different voices out in the world. We need to know what the Bible says, and that's, that's what we need to do. The first thing is that children are a wonderful gift from God. They really are. Even at 3 o'clock in the morning when it's time to feed them, you know, Jacob does that constantly. It's terrible. But even at, it, the, the children are a wonderful, wonderful gift from God. And that's something that you guys need to understand. All you kids, wherever you are in the room, you need to understand your parents love you more than their own lives. It's, it's hard to even explain. I didn't want to have kids because I didn't like kids. I did not put that on my resume when I, you know, wanted to be hired here at Grace Baptist. But Now, who's going to be honest? Uh, you are the same way. Raise your hands. 
How many of you don't have kids yet and that's the way that you feel now? Yeah, I understand. I understand. I didn't like kids when I was one. I'd rather talk to adults. I didn't like kids. They were dumb. I didn't like kids. Then all of a sudden you have them. You know, you bring them home, this, this precious bundle of evil. And, you know, all of a sudden you start loving them and then you start loving other people's kids and you're thinking, where is this young man that I was? It, it's, it's interesting. You kids, you need to understand this, that you are a precious gift from God. And that's the way that your parents look at you. Now, remember that the next time your mom looks like she's ready to kill you. She really does. My, I had a friend come in one time, uh, Rusty Korb, and he said, uh, Hello, Mrs. Alter, how are you? She said, I'm fine, but I'm getting ready to kill some kids. And she's about ready to kill some kids. Um, look at Psalm 127. Look at what it says. Verse 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His, what's it say? Reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now, just specifically, that's so that your kids could fight with you. That's not against you, with you. That's what that passage is talking about. Isn't that interesting? And... Um, but the Bible makes it very clear that children really are a wonderful gift from the Lord. Look at Proverbs 17.6. So this, the, the first part of the verse is about grandchildren. And it says, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. The glory of children are their fathers. So here's what's supposed to happen. Grandparents love getting grandkids. Is that true? Yeah, it's an awesome deal. Now, I'm not there yet, praise God. But it's, isn't it wonderful? The, the idea is that you spoil your grandkids and then send them home. Right? One of the best presents that a grandparent can buy the grandchildren is a drum set. That's called revenge. It is. All the noisy toys in the world, those are the ones that you give your kids that gave you trouble, Lydia. And... So, the passage is interesting, but notice what it says. The glory of children is their father. Children are supposed to glory in their fathers. And that goes back to the message last week that talks about the husband or the wife reverencing her husband. The dad's supposed to be the hero in the home. And I'll tell you what, my dad was and always will be my hero. I, I just thought my dad was great. That's the way that it's supposed to be. Amen. What is it that brings that? What is it that brings that glory? Respect. Respect. And we're going to learn some things about that this morning. So first of all, the, just the foundational truth of this message is that children are a gift from God and they are a wonderful gift from God. Now we have to remember there are folks that can't have children. That's a very hard and difficult thing to do. Praise the Lord that there is adoption. Isn't it wonderful that you can have adoption? There is, amen? Isn't that right, folks? There is no difference. And the picture of that, for those of you who are adopted, the picture of that is that's what happens to us when we get saved. We're adopted into the family of God. So how many of you are glad that Jesus Christ is your brother and, and that God is your father? How many of you are thankful for that? You're thankful for that. How many of you feel like that is a secondary or lowly position? 
It's the highest position that there is. Those of you who come from adopted, you're adopted into a family, that's the picture that God chose to describe what it's like to be saved. Is that awesome? Every child is a gift from God. And it's so vitally important. It's so vitally important that we learn that. So, first of all, children are a gift from God. Secondly, we need to understand that there is a distinction between the Catholic Protestant view of children and the biblical or Baptist view of children. There's a difference. And, and here's what it is. If you were raised in a Catholic family, your parents brought you uh, to the church when you were a baby and you were baptized. Is that right? That made you a member of the church. And so that child is then raised. They have the image of God. They've been baptized into the church, and that child is raised in that way. Now, is that correct? Have I made a, have I made a correct statement on that, those of you who come from a Roman Catholic background? In Protestant churches, especially those that practice covenant theology, Presbyterian churches, things like that, some of the Lutheran churches, what you end up with is that the child, the baby, is brought to church and the baby is baptized. And because that baby comes from a Christian family where the parents are believers, that child is baptized and that child becomes a child of promise. That, 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 that is the promise that that child will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That they are in that family and God has a covenant relationship with that home because they are His people. That's what they teach. How many of you come from that background where you've heard something like that? Yeah, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible anywhere. How does a person become a child of God? How does a person become a son of God? Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Look at verse 10. Speaking of Jesus, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that were baptized as babies. Did I read that wrong? What's the Bible say? Even to them that believe on his name. When does a person become a son of God? When they believe on his name. Those babies aren't believing anything other than I'm wet. Is that right? The Bible's very clear on this. And let's, let's be very clear. Look at for the next verse. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see that? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. And we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's Jesus. He came. Verse 16. And of His fullness, this, this grace, have, we, have all we received and grace for grace. This grace has to be received. It's a gift. Another word for grace is gift. And I, and I like to use this illustration. So, Aaron, here's a pen. This is a really nice pen. I got it for my anniversary. Is that sweet? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to make this a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Take it. Just take it. Now, in order to keep that, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. Nope. <laughs> Just on Sundays, though, because that's the Lord's Day. I don't work on Sundays. Ah, he doesn't work on Sundays. I wish I could say that. Okay, so here's the deal. Why didn't you take it? Why, why, you took it first. Why did you give it back? I had to work for it. You had to work for it. It's no longer a gift, right? What do you have to do to make a gift yours? You receive it. 
You receive it. And it's an act of the will. Um, there's, I saw a baby in the back a minute ago. If I gave that baby this pen, well, the baby would just take it because it's shiny. And they like it and they want it. And they don't know how to wash cars, so it doesn't matter what I say. It, is, it wouldn't, wouldn't help. When you have understanding, you understand what a gift is and you understand something that you have to work for. The Bible says that, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Is that right? Is that what the Bible says? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us. That's what the Bible says, Titus 3, 5. So it's really important that we get this. Salvation is a gift that is received, and it is received with knowledge and understanding. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. He is God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sin, was buried three days, rose from the dead, proving that He was, is, and always will be God. Knowledge of who that is. And then receiving the free gift of eternal life. Why? Because I deserve to die. I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. Christ died for my sins. And the only way that I can, can have that sin paid for is by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's something that I understand. It's something that I receive. And it's something that's very simple. Children can do it. Is that right? But babies can't. So a person becomes a son of God when they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. When they're born again, not of the flesh nor of the will of flesh, the flesh, but of God. They're born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. That's what the Bible says. So the, the Protestant Catholic view is that a child either becomes a member of the church or a child of promise at their baptism as a baby. The Bible Baptist view is that a child becomes a son of God when they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Is that right? It's very important that we get this. I'm not saying, let me be very clear, I'm not saying that every Catholic and Protestant is going to hell. It has nothing to do with what I just said. What I'm saying is there is a different understanding of children. The nature of the child... There's a different understanding. The biblical understanding is what we need to get. Let's look at what the, the Bible says, the biblical view of children. All right? Um, th there's something that I've found that's very interesting. Have you ever noticed that if you have children, especially when they're small, you say no much more than you say yes? Is that right? So I want to give you all some instruction on how to say no. Yeah, my kids think I'm really cool. You know how cool my kids think I am? You know what their nickname is for me at home? Dr. No. Dr. No. You know why? Because I give them a lot of no. A lot of kids get too much yes. I give them no. I call it the gift of no. Parents, it's easy. Daddy, can I have that? No. Can I have the keys to the car? Let me check here. Uh, no. Can I go over there? Nope. Can I spend the night over there? Hmm, this old man, he said no. <laughs> Get creative, man. Eeny, meeny, miny, no. Now you're just somebody that I used to. No. <laughs> there are so many fun ways to say no. 
My daughter tries to guilt trip me. Daddy, I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> honey, I'm your father, not your friend, sweetie. I love you. I'd die for you, honey, but I'm not your friend. I tell you what, you start knocking out some of these bills, we are BFFs, little lady, okay? <laughs> that changes everything. But until that happens, <laughs> no. Oh, man, why do you have to say no to your kids? Because they are sinners. I always say this. How many of you had to teach your children how to throw a fit at Walmart? No. You have to teach them how not to throw a fit at Walmart. Now, now just as an aside, there are some parents that you need to teach how to not throw a fit at Walmart. Right? But it, it, it's so interesting. What is the biblical view of children. Let's, let's look at this. You're precious, that little bundle of sin that you bring home. Let's look. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read verse 1. We'll start reading in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the what? Children of disobedience. Isn't that a weird word to put there? You know, I know you think children of the corn. I never saw that movie, but I guess it was freaky. All right. You know, um, Lord of the Flies. How many of you, know, how many of you ever read or know about Lord of the Flies? Yeah. yeah, junior church. It's <laughs> happening downstairs right now. <laughs> Pray for them. All right. So now it's interesting, the children, what, what's being brought into this. Look at verse 3. Among whom also, what are the next two words? We all had our conversation. Now, that's our walk. That's the way that we lived in times past. In the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So, perfect picture of this. Isn't it interesting that, that children rarely get in trouble for putting their toys away? You ever notice that? What, what do they get in trouble for? For not putting their toys away. Why? Why? Because they're children of disobedience. By nature, they are children of disobedience. Is that what the Bible says? By nature, they are the children of wrath, even as others. So how do we know that? Because they're fulfilling the desires of their mind and of the flesh. You know, you put your baby to bed, and you hear this blood-curdling scream. You think this child is dying, right? And you walk in and they go... <laughs> what did they do? They knew that you would come running to protect them, and they just wanted to get out of the crib. Young people, not the crib. It's different. Okay? It, it, it's so interesting when you, when you look at, at these, these little bundles of sin. 
That's what they are. They are fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of their mind. And one of the things that, that maturity demonstrates is when they're not selfish. Is that right? Why? Because one of the signs of immaturity and of sin is simple selfishness. And, you know, some people never outgrow that. How many of you recognize that? They're usually Democrats. No, that's just different. Just lost half the audience. Anytime you, boom, it's gone. All right, so the Bible makes it very clear that all of us were, by nature, children of wrath. Is that what the Bible says? Okay, go to Romans chapter 8. This is what you parents are bringing home from the hospital. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Because the carnal mind, what's that? That's the fleshly, that's a human mind, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. All right? So what is this saying? You have this little bundle of sin that you bring home from the hospital, and that child starts developing his personality and his cuteness, and babies are just cute. You know, some of the best commercials in the world are babies. I like the one where the baby talks, you know, the investment commercial or whatever. Sounds just like Ty Blackford. Have you ever noticed that? It's hilarious. So babies, they are precious and they are cute, but the problem is they have a carnal mind. And if we misunderstand, this is where this is why I brought up the, the Protestant and Catholic understanding of children. If you believe that child is a child of God, then you're going to try and mold that child's spirit into a mature Christian. But if you understand what the Bible says, that child does not have a spirit. All they have is a carnal mind. And so now if you're going to try and deal with that child spiritually you have to understand that that child is spiritually dead. Isn't this just a feel-good sermon right now? But we have, This is reality. This is reality. Now, here's, here's the good news. child of two years old dies. That child is with Jesus. Why? That's the grace of God. That principle is all through the Scriptures. They, they have no understanding. They're not capable of discerning good and evil. And they, they are not capable of responding to the gospel. So they are under the grace of God. Suffer the little children to come unto me, Jesus said. Isn't that wonderful? It's a wonderful promise. So I'm not saying that that child would go to hell. This is why this becomes so important. Why do Catholics baptize babies? Because they believe that if that child is not baptized, that child goes to hell. That baby goes to hell. That's the Catholic teaching. And I, I could go, Augustine wrote about that, and I could give you all of, that. he doesn't believe that they're in the hottest part of hell, that they're in a ring on the outer part of hell where their punishment is less. Of course, there's nothing in the Bible about that. But that's, what, if you think that your child has the Spirit of God in them, then you don't understand that the Bible says that we are conceived in sin and that we are sinners at birth who need a Savior. And so as a parent, what I have to understand is, I am not dealing with a child of God. I am dealing with a sinner who does not have the new nature, 
does not have the Holy Spirit in them. And so I have to deal with them differently than if they had the Spirit of God in them. The Bible tells us how to deal with them. All right, we're going to get to that in a minute. Go to 1 John chapter 2. This is a very interesting passage. First John chapter 2, and look at verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because you are so wonderful. Now, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. What does that mean? A couple of things. It's a wonderful truth right here. Children can be saved. This is a wonderful truth. Children can be saved. But there's a corresponding truth to that. Children need to be saved. Is that right? They need to be saved. Children are sinners who need to be saved. There's a third truth, that salvation is simple. Salvation is simple. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in His sight. It's Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. He wants them all to be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation is simple. The other thing that this tells me, if a child, if a little child, if their sins can be forgiven, that tells me that salvation is not a lifelong process. Salvation takes place at one point in time where you have an exchange, where where my sin is exchanged for Christ's righteousness. My sin is exchanged for His righteousness. He takes my sin and I get clothed in His righteousness. So when God sees me, He sees the righteousness of His precious Son. That's awesome. So, what are we learning? We're learning, first of all, that children can be saved. Secondly, that children need to be saved. And thirdly, that salvation is simple. Let's not make it complicated. Let's not make it complicated. Salvation is simple. You add works to it, it's no longer the gospel. Is that right? You add good behavior to it. Johnny, if you do this, you're going to go to hell. No. If you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell. Then you can say, if you do this, I might send you to heaven. No, don't say that to your children. That's not a the Tim Hawkins thing. You know, Come on, Tommy, you're going to go see Jesus. <laughs> okay, so do you understand that the, the difference? My children needed to be saved. Until they were saved, they did not have the Spirit of God in them. Very important that we get this. It changes the way that we raise our children. So what does this mean? Well, obviously, we understand, based on the sin nature, the depravity of man, that we are all sinners, we all deserve hell, um, and we are all antagonistic toward the truth of God and His righteousness by nature. Is that what the Bible says? Very clear. Why do children throw a fit? Because they're, they're fulfilling the desires of the mind and of the flesh. How many of you get that? That's really clear. That's really clear. So what happens is, modern psychology, people are not naturally bad. Their environment makes them bad. The old nurture-nature argument, right? And the nurture has won. So it doesn't matter if you go back to Rogers or Young or Freud or any of that psychology that goes... It starts with an understanding that man is innately good. Man is not innately good. We are what? Sinners. For all have sinned and come short 
of the glory of God. Is that right? Is that right? So I have to understand that what I'm bringing home from the hospital is a little, cute little sinner. Right? And what happens? But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what do I do? I take that child that is a sinner and I love him like Jesus would. I love her like Jesus would. Is that right? Understanding that they're sinners. How many of you recognize that Jesus knew that you were a sinner when he went to the cross? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why he went. So as I raise that child, I have a biblical understanding of who this child is. This child is a person for whom Jesus Christ died. Why did he die for them? Because they're sinners and they need a Savior. Very important. So now I have a baseline of understanding to build on, scripturally. So, first of all, children are a wonderful gift from God. Secondly, we have to be careful of that Protestant Catholic understanding of children and come over to a biblical understanding of children that they are sinners. And then we understand that they can be saved. So here is the thing. Back there at verse 12 again of 1 John 2. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. If a children may have their sins forgiven then they have sins that need to be forgiven. Okay, so here, lying is a sin. Stubbornness is a sin. Disobedience is a sin. Really important that we get this. And we don't want to um, enable sin in our children's lives. We want, we want that sin to be confronted we want those children to understand that sin brings consequences. What is the ultimate consequence of sin? Death. Death. Hell. That's why they need a Savior. What begins demonstrating that? Those children understand that sin brings judgment. Very important. Now, so let's get a biblical view. This is, this is the crux of the message now. Let's get a biblical view of raising children. All right, go to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Such an interesting verse. Johnny, stop doing that. Johnny keeps doing it. If I have to tell you one more time, Johnny keeps doing it. I'm going to count to three. One, two, Two and a half, two and three quarters. What happens? Judgment doesn't come. How I many of you know that that happens? Judgment doesn't come. Look what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, look at verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. All right? So, Jake, come here. Do the opposite of what I tell you here, okay? Jacob, don't turn around. <laughs> what happened? Other than I have provoked my child to wrath. Okay, so here's the deal. What did I do? He disobeyed, 
Speedy judgment. Speedy judgment. Now imagine if he has gone his entire childhood disobeying me. I just can't get that boy to do anything. He's a strong-willed child. Right? How many of you ever heard those two statements? Is that right? <laughs> oh, LJ. Oh, buddy. Okay, now look. If I don't bring speedy judgment, then what happens is his heart will be set to do evil. It will be set. Thanks, Jake. Very important. It's got to come quickly. It's got to come quickly. He needs to know that there is an immediate response to disobedience. Immediate judgment. If I don't, look what the Bible says. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Anyone here ever work with concrete? You have a limited amount of time to work with it. Is that right? Because once it's fully set, the only thing you can do is break it. And this is what happens. Somebody has a teenager that won't do right, and they, they bring them to the preacher or the counselor, the school teacher, the school principal. They say, he won't do anything. I say, what, what am I going to do? Put him in jail. There's just not much you can do with someone whose heart is set to do evil. So important. Now, here's what happens. Because we are Christians, and, and you know, folks in this room, for the most part, I know you, and you have established a home where uh, righteousness is demonstrated, um, right and wrong is demonstrated, good and evil is demonstrated, even though many of you fail to bring judgment quickly, that child is seeing the result of, of, a good, of good choices modeled. So sometimes that heart that's set to evil, it doesn't manifest itself until they're an adult. And yet the evil has still been set in them. So what are we going to do? If we're going to understand what the Bible says, then as I'm raising my children, immediate obedience with the right spirit is the only response that will be accepted. If I tell Jacob to do something, now this is no joke, this is real. If I tell him to do something, I expect it immediately. When he was little, he'd be down playing on a video game down here, and I would call him. And I expected him to put down what he was doing and run to me. And sometimes in counseling, I would demonstrate that. Jacob would be down there. I'd say, watch this. Open up the door. Jacob, come here. Comes running. Yeah, Dad. Oh, nothing. You can go back. <laughs> really important. It's really important. What was I doing? I wanted him. What if the building's on fire? You know, building's on fire. Jacob, come here. I've got to finish this game. Okay, Die. I wonder how many kids die a year running into the street because their parents called them and they didn't stop. I wonder how many kids run into trouble at school because when they were three and parents said, don't go over there, they disobeyed and there was no judgment. So now they go to school and they get in with the wrong kids and they, the dad says, hey, you got to trust me. That, that kid's going to mess you up. Do you know what happens? 
because dad said, if you do that one more time, I'm going to punish you. The punishment didn't come. He doesn't believe dad anymore. He doesn't trust him. He doesn't believe his word. Then what happens when it comes time for you to tell, introduce them to God the Father? Well, God the Father's a clown. Dad doesn't bring judgment when he says he's going to. Why should I believe that the punishment for my sin is death and hell? Why should I believe that? The word father, it's the same word. My father doesn't follow through. Why should I believe that father's going to follow through? And you start setting your children up for destruction. For destruction. Look at what it says. Verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And I've got to tell you, man, you, you school teachers that are here, school principals, all of you who work in the school system, you see these children constantly. They, they, they cannot receive instruction, and their lives are destined for failure because they can't receive instruction. Now, look, I understand there are learning disabilities. I get that, and they are very real. Do you all agree with that? They are very real. Man, I'd sit in a class and... I just want to bang my head against the wall. I was so bored. I couldn't take it. I, I hated it. I did terrible in school sometimes. It was horrible. Why? Learning disability. You know, beating a child like that isn't going to help them learn. Right? You've got to deal with that disability. Disabilities are real. Do you know what the ultimate disability is? Sin. And we have to understand that we have to teach children how to respond to the teaching of the Word of God. And how do we do that? By speedily bringing judgment so that their hearts aren't set against God. Now, let's look at how, how are we going to accomplish that? How does that work? Well, let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. And we'll just run some scriptures. Tim Hawkins said something interesting in that little bit that we just showed when his daughter said, I hate you. Now, i got to tell you this. You kids ever say that to your parents? I'll hire myself out to come and help you. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Now, this is where i got to ask you. Okay, here we go. How many of you here, you're saved. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Isn't that awesome? How many of you believe that the Bible is the Word of God and it's absolutely accurate? All right. How many of you are willing to submit to everything that it teaches? Okay. Hands went up a little slower. You know why? Because I'm, I'm going to get you. All right. I'm setting the trap. Setting the hook. Here we come. All right. Look what this says. How many of you can see I'm a horrible fisherman just by that motion right there? Okay. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 1, look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay, can we read that part of the verse out loud? You ready? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. How many of you believe that? Okay, now we have a problem. Um, we have been told that fear is reverential awe. The only problem is, do you know what reverential means? Fear. Do you know what fear means? I'm going to help you. Fear. It means being afraid. But here's what Christians say. Christians say this. I don't want my children to be afraid of me. Do you know what that means? It means you're going to raise a fool. Look at the verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, 
Hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as a grave and whole as those that go down into a pit. It goes on and on. So what is it, where does it start? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You fear the Lord, you need to believe me. You need to listen to me. And this is what Jacob needed to understand when he was young. If you disobey me, there's going to be a consequence that you need to fear. Here's what would happen. Hey, Jacob, come here. He'd come with a certain expression. Jacob! What's the difference? The expression isn't, it's... <laughs> Why? Because something bad was about to happen. And he was afraid. Why? Because something bad had happened in the past. Fear. What does that give? Wisdom. Wisdom. I don't want my kids to be afraid of me. Well, then you do not believe the Bible. You don't believe the Bible. Oh, I don't want a God that... I don't believe in a God that would send people to hell. Then you don't believe in the God of the Bible. You need to fear Him. You need to fear Him. Now, look at why we do this. I want my children, Lydia, I want Lydia to know that I mean what I say and that what mom says is a law. And if you violate that law, there are consequences. Now, what I think is interesting is people, here's what people think. If I'm strict with my children, then we won't have fun. All we do is laugh. We have all kinds of fun. Why? Because there are parameters in the house. There's structure in the house. Very important. I want Lydia to fear her mother and I and the consequences of disobedience. I want Jacob to fear his mother and I if he violates our law, my instruction, her law. If he violates that, I want him to fear the consequences. Why? Because then he can understand what God says in verse 20. Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones? Remember, a simple one is someone who has not been instructed yet. How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. But who are these fools? Fools are the ones who wouldn't listen to their parents. Right? Now look at what happens. Verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. 
when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Okay, so here's what happens. When he's one, when he's one, he learns fear for bad behavior. I'll give you an example. We don't like squealing. You know what I'm talking about? Just little screaming things that kids do. So Lydia would squeal. Lydia would squeal. Little pop. Squealer, no, no. No squealer. You know what happened? She stopped squealing until Jacob was born. <laughs> what were we doing? We were instructing her. You know what we decided before we were married? Number one, we wanted to enjoy our children. Number two, we wanted other people to enjoy our children. It's not enjoyable to have a kid scream in your ear. How many of you enjoy having a kid scream in your ear? Any of you? No. Then don't let them do it. I just can't control them. Wait until they're 16. You really won't be able to control them. Do you know what you do? You teach them that fear when they're one. Strong-willed child right here. Picture in the dictionary. Strong-willed child. Stacy's back there. No, no. You are deluded, my child. Okay? Strong-willed child here. What did we have to do? We, ha we had to make sure that we won. She couldn't win. We had to win. Why? Because I don't want her destruction to come like a whirlwind. Uh, notice it says that they're going to cry for wisdom, but they won't be able to get it. Have you ever seen somebody that can't make a good decision? You know, they're living in a van down by the river. They, they, they can't make, they just, they simply cannot make a good decision. How many of you have seen people like that? Uh, Dave, do you ever see those people? Sheriff? You wouldn't have a job without them, right? That's your job. Josh, you're here. Where's Josh at? Josh, you ever see these people? Yeah. yeah uh, Chad, do their houses burn down? Yeah. Why? Because they're foolish. They're foolish. I have a good idea. Let's go to sleep smoking. How many of you know that's a bad idea? Right? Why? They can't make a good decision. And then they say, why is my life such a mess? I want to turn my life around. And then you tell them what to do. And they look at you like you got three heads. Take a bath. Pull your pants up. Oh. Right? Am I right? So what are we doing? We are instructing our children, teaching them to fear us, teaching them to fear God and fear evil consequences for evil behavior so that they're able to make good choices. That's, that's what God says. It starts with children. Listen to your parents. And it ends up, if you don't, I'm going to laugh at your destruction. It's very interesting. That's what wisdom says. So what are we going to do? How can we see to it that our children know how to fear us? Let's just see what the Bible says. Go to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22. In verse 15, foolishness, now remember what a fool is, one who, who refuses instruction. That's what a fool is. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction 
shall drive it far from him. Okay, Jacob, come here. I have witnessed this, okay? Here's a child with a diaper on. All right, I know I wasn't supposed to tell anybody that, but okay. <laughs> it just depends. It's just, all right. All right, here's a child with a diaper on. Child blatantly disobeys dad. And dad goes. <laughs> I said that to somebody one time. They said, uh, I said, boy, you really showed him. All right. I want you to think about something. You've got the rod. What is a rod? It's an implement that you use to discipline your child. That's what the Bible says. How many of you have read this? All right. So you have the rod and you just do the little love tap. How many of you play golf? Okay. I want you to think about something. You have a chip. And then you have a drive. <laughs> See the imagery? Didn't know golf was in the Bible, did you? What, why is this important? Because the foolishness is it's bound up and it must be driven from them. Really important. It's really, really important. Thank you, Jacob. Really important. All right, let's read the verse again. Let's read it out loud. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. You know, there are a lot of Christians who don't believe in spanking. But there's lots of Christians who don't believe the Bible. Okay? Look, let's go to... Have any of you heard someone say this? I love him too much to spank him. You ever heard that? I just can't do it. It's just not in... I can't do it. Look at what the Bible says. Look at Proverbs 13, 24. Y'all still believe the Bible? Look at Proverbs 13, 24. I love him too much. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. I love that word betimes. You know what it means? As often as needed. As often as needed. Jacob, I love you so much. I'm going to do this as often as it's needed. Really interesting. Really interesting. I love him too much. Well, then you don't believe the Bible. Amen? You don't believe the Bible. Okay? Look at chapter 19, verse 18. Proverbs 19, 18. This is so interesting. Chasten thy son while there is hope. You know, before that concrete is set. Chasten him, chasten thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. You ever spanked a kid and they were mad about it? You're not done. Really interesting. It's really interesting. Look at uh, Proverbs 23, 14. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Do you believe that? Now, that word beat, that's, that's, uh, that's a loaded term, isn't it? 
It doesn't mean that you destroy. The, the, the beating... Come here, Jake. <laughs> Let me show you the difference. Okay, so my son is 16. You know, I think he's getting bigger than me. Okay. All right, so my son's 16. It's so important. Jacob, I love you, so I'm going to punch you in the face. Does that fit? It doesn't fit at all. If, if you have a, a smaller child... Um, Cody, come here, Cody. Why don't you see something? Okay, here's Cody. Now imagine, I want you to think about something. Cody, how old are you? 16? 12. 12, okay. <laughs> Me too. All right, so here's Cody. He's 12. Imagine someone beating this child in the face, um, you know, a belt across their back. Uh, like Adrian Peterson with his son with the switch breaking skin all over him. That's what we, that's what we think of with beating. Do you all agree with that? That's wrong. That's, uh, uh, I want to beat the person who does that. And, you know, honestly, in, in our country, that's what used to happen. That stuff didn't happen as much when other men... Could, could bring consequences to that behavior. Right? We're not better. We're not better. That's beating. That's wrong. Thank you. All right? That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is driving the sin out of that child. And the Bible, stay right here, Jake. I want you, I want you all to see something. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 13. Proverbs 10, 13. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Okay? God gave the perfect place <laughs> where, listen, where you can beat without damage. That's what God said. Now, here's the problem. It's so important for you to get this. How... This is where the beating, the misunderstanding of the beating comes in. How hard would I have to hit this dude to make a point? I mean, I hit him really hard fooling around. How hard would I have to hit him to discipline him? Listen, harder than I should. What's the point? You shouldn't have to spank a 16-year-old kid. He's probably not had a spanking since he was four years old or something. It shows, doesn't it? It's terrible. <laughs> it's really important that you get this. You drive the foolishness out of them when you can discipline them within the bounds of love and Scripture. If I have to deal with him physically now, I've missed the boat. That's when Dave gets called. That's when Josh gets called. I can't do anything with him. I can't do anything with him. Why? Because you did not drive the foolishness out of them when they were little. Thanks, Jake. You can be seated.
This is so important. And this is where the world misunderstands corporal punishment. Corporal punishment does not hurt a child. The same people that are against it are the ones that say, go out and hit somebody on the football field. I promise you, I was hit harder on the football field than I was ever disciplined by my father. Dad never knocked me out. Wanted to many times, I'm sure. Dad never knocked me out. Do you understand the difference? And we have to decide, do we believe the Bible? Do we believe the Bible? And if we will discipline our children properly, that doesn't mean that the correction is done with Lydia and Jacob. We correct them constantly. But because they are not foolish, they can receive the instruction. It's not always easy to receive the instruction, is it? You don't like getting in trouble. Lydia hates to be told anything. Hilarious. It is so funny. Now, I know some of you are here saying, oh, I can't believe he's talking about his kids. It's all their lives. That's all they've ever known. Don't worry. They're okay. And so what does she do? She behaves in such a way so that she doesn't have to be told what to do. And you want to know something? That's great. Because the outcome is the same. It's the right behavior. That's the goal. And to point them toward the Lord Jesus Christ. To point them toward God. So when they understand obedience, they understand it's obedience to authority. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Isn't that true? Have you ever heard somebody say this? Didn't your mother teach you any better than that? Where's that come from? Right here. Right here. So what are we going to do? We need to understand that children are a gift from God. The, the, the children are wonderful. Secondly, we need to understand that, we, we, that the Bible does not teach the Catholic Protestant understanding of children. They are not children of God. They're lost. They need a Savior. And so I am not shaping a Christian. I am helping this child to understand good and evil so that when I point them to the Father, they know that God loves them because Dad loves them. They, God loves them because Mom loves them. And they understand right from wrong and good and evil and consequences. So when they understand that they're a sinner and that Jesus died on the cross for them, they believe it. They believe it. And then you shape their attitudes. You teach them obedience. You teach them to love God. You teach them to respect mom and dad. You teach them that mom reveres dad and that dad loves mom like Christ loved the church. And you involve them in the body of Christ. And then all of a sudden, they get to be ready to leave home. And you're confident that they're going to serve God. They get ready to go out into the workplace. You're confident. You're confident that they know God and they have the ability to make right choices. That doesn't mean you stop disciplining. It doesn't mean that you stop restricting. As long as they live in my house, there's going to be rules. Amen? Lydia just turned 18. And I told her, you know that means that you don't have to listen to me anymore, right? And she just laughed. It's so important. I'm thankful that she loves God. I'm thankful that he loves God. I'm thankful that she loves God. I'm thankful that they get to be in this place. I'm thankful that we don't have the hurt in the home that comes from a child being wrapped up in 
drugs or an immoral lifestyle. Why? Why? Because when she was 18 months old and said no, she didn't want to put the blocks back in the basket. That we stayed there until she said yes, sir, and put the blocks back in the basket. Ready for this? It only happened once. Never had to happen again. Why? We won. So, you've got the strong-willed child. Is it easier to deal with the strong will when they're 18 months or when they're 18? You can't tell her anything now. <laughs> Is it easier when they're 18 months or when they're 18? 18 months. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You grandparents, when your children try to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and you undermine what they're doing. You know what I would do if that was my parents? You're not coming to my house. They're not going to your house. You either get on board or you stay away. Because I love you, but I'm leaving father and mother. I'm cleaving to her, and we're raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You get on board or you can go away. You grandparents, you need to support your children in raising the children, their, their, their children properly. Don't fight them in it. Don't, well, I raised my kids and they turned out okay. Did you raise them biblically? By the grace of God, if they turned out okay, praise God. But man, there's a lot of horrible stories. Now, last thing, and I'm done. Last thing, and I'm done. Well, I know so-and-so, and they spanked their kids, and their kids were the worst kids in the world. Okay, and let's write right under that, God is a liar. You don't have any idea what went on in that house. You don't have any idea whether those people exemplified the God of the Bible or not. All right, number one, you don't know. Number two, people all have free will. I can raise Jacob and do everything right, and at some point he can choose to walk away from God. That's hard for people to grasp. That's between him and the Lord. What's the difference? That's a biblical understanding as opposed to a Catholic Protestant understanding. He can choose whether to receive Christ or reject Christ. What Laura and I have tried to do is raise him up in the best way possible for him to respond to Jesus. Then it's up to him what he does. It's up to him whether he chooses to follow Jesus or not. It's up to her whether she chooses to follow Jesus or not. But what we have done is we have demonstrated for them all of their lives the consequences of choosing to walk away from God. And what is it? It's destruction. It's destruction. We want them to have a great life. God wants them to have a great life. How are they going to do that? Don't be a fool. Be wise. What's the wisest thing you can do? Fear God. Believe His Word and live for Him. Amen? That is the entire purpose of raising your children to love Him. Be honest. Remember the Bible says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What provokes a child to wrath more than anything? Inconsistency. They behave one way, one time, and they get a certain response. They behave the exact same way another time, and it's a different response. That inconsistency that provokes a child to wrath. What gives them security and confidence? When they do well, they're rewarded. When they do evil, they're punished speedily. 
And what do they learn? I know what's going to happen. If I do this, this happens. If I do this, this happens. It's very simple. It's very simple. If you want to have a peaceful home, you know there are Christian parents that can't take their children out to eat with them because they can't sit at a table. You know there are people that stop coming to church when their kids turn four because that child can't sit still in a church service. Don't be like that. Have children that you can enjoy that are confident. The most confident children in the world are those that are given parameters, taught that they are loved, whether they do good or whether they do evil. They're always loved, but there are consequences to good behavior. There are consequences to bad behavior. It becomes very clear. They know what to do, and now they're confident, fun, enjoyable people. That's what we want to produce. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your word.